This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. The uh, title of my message tonight is How to Affect the Atmosphere in Your Cave. How to affect the atmosphere in your cave. I did have a number of different titles, and it was cave diving and all this type of thing I was thinking of, and I ended up came out, this was the most appropriate I felt. Um, The background to this chapter in Psalm 57 is found in 1 Samuel 22. We know the story of David when he was fleeing from Saul, and we're very familiar with the, 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 the verses where it talks about him. It says, And David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Abdullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard it, they went down from there to him. And everyone who is in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. David had fled from uh, before Saul. He had gone into Gath. He had been in front of the king of uh, Achish. And he had feigned madness and he had gone off and he's come to the cave of Abdullam. There's a number of different Psalms that talk about him in a cave. And this one here seems to be the most appropriate, as it says in the introduction. You start reading with me there at the beginning. It says, actually in the title, it says, to the choir master, according to, mine says, do not destroy a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Verse one says, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to the most high God, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who, tra- who tramples on me, Sheila. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amidst fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen to it themselves. My heart is steadfast. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The purpose of my message tonight is to remind us to remind us once again of things we already know. I don't have any grand, great new revelation, but I want to stir up on us once again those things that we know are true, things that we grew up in, things that we have in our DNA as such, but sometimes through things of, things of life, through the cares of life, through catastrophe, through whatever, things can get dulled. It's like having a piece of wood with a sharp edge 
that edge there, I, I, I guarantee you, whenever they finished it, it might've been a wee bit sharp, but as they put a wee bit of lacquer over it, dulled it a wee bit, put another wee bit of lacquer over it, dulled it a wee bit, put another wee bit of lacquer, put another wee bit of lacquer, another wee bit of lacquer. And so too, life can have that effect on us. Things can happen that it can dull down and it can soften us off to a point where we, as, we, as was mentioned this morning, we no longer have that cutting edge. And things can happen in our own lives, whether it be spiritually, whether it be physically, whether it be mentally and whether it be emotionally, that can take the edge off. And it's kind of appropriate, actually, in light of this morning. But my message tonight, I'm speaking about David in this cave. He's come to the cave of Abdullam. It was not entirely a cave of his own making. It was circumstantial to some degree or other. He'd been forced there. He was fleeing. Now, we don't know exactly where the, the cave of Abdullam is, but he's fleeing from before Saul, unwilling to harm the king of his nation. Remember, Saul was his anointed king of Israel, and he didn't want to harm him, so he fled from before him. And he bounced in and out of these various caves along this whole mountain region. It's quite a change for him. He was, in the, he was one of uh, Saul's commanders. After he had killed Goliath, he had been elevated. He was in the, the king's palace, and then he was one of his commanders. I actually recently watched the, uh, there's an old, old, old movie um, uh, called King David, um, starring Richard Gere. Don't look it up, it's terrible. Uh, they take an awful lot of license, uh, but I was watching it recently, a couple of weeks ago. You know, and if you think about it, he was elevated. He was one of the mighty men, really. He was one of the generals for, for King Saul. And the people had said about Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. And he was an elevated man. He was gone from that humble home that he had been born and raised in, killed Goliath. And then he's in the king's palace as a servant of the king. And it's quite a change that he finds himself in a cave, hunted, a cave surrounded by people who are, let's just put it this way, they're just not the best kind of people to be hanging around. Away from his friends, away from his position in a dark, smelly, damp cave. Surrounded by people who are in a terrible state themselves. It said there actually, and like I said, in 1 Samuel 22, it said, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. Talia, talk about having a magnetic personality that works the wrong way. Here he is in the cave. The atmosphere of this cave is not conducive to a positive attitude or a positive outlook in life. It's not conducive to walking in victory as the people of God are meant to do. It's not conducive about having a get up and go spirit in the morning. It's a heavy atmosphere. It's a negative atmosphere. This particular cave would have the tendency to feed the darkness I can remember my brother, he's been through a number of things and I remember he, looking back on his life, there were certain things that he used to draw and used to, used to express artistically. And he looked back and he realized that, that he was doing is feeding the darkness, feeding the negativity, feeding all those thoughts of depression and defeat and, and insignificance, feeding all of that. And this cave was that type of atmosphere, a place that would feed the negativity that, let's be honest, because of our fallen natures, we're all prone to, or many of us are at least, we're all prone to looking at the worst in ourselves, looking at the worst in circumstances. He was hunted, he was hounded and chased. You know, they don't exactly know exactly where the cave is, but they know the region and the area. 
It was about 13 miles west of Bethlehem, 13 miles west of where he was born. So he would have been familiar with the area. And that's probably why he was, he was familiar with the caves being there. But it was also two miles up the road from the valley where he killed Goliath. Two miles away from his greatest victory. From that moment that he had stepped out on the scene of Israel's history and stepped out and said, I'm going to stand for God and for the people of God. That moment he had stood up and said, I want to be counted. I know that my God is good and I know my God is big and I know my God is mighty and I'm going to make a stand. So every morning in this cave, you can imagine, we don't know how long he was there, but you can imagine him getting up and looking out. That was my greatest victory and look where I am now. Maybe he'd come to this cave, cave originally as a, like I said, to hide, but maybe he'd also thought to himself, I want to encourage myself. I want to remind myself of what God has done for me. I want to remind myself of what God's capable of. And maybe there's an element to that in our lives. We can have things in our lives that we, that we cherish as, as things that God has done for us. But sometimes the enemy can come in, and especially through our pride and through negativity, can come in and twist that. And it no longer becomes a moment that we remember what God has done. For him, it might not have become a member, we remember what God has done, but it might have become a, you're now a has-been. Your greatest days are past and everything is over. There's nothing left to achieve. You've reached your pinnacle and it's all over and that's it. Maybe the negativity of those around him and the atmosphere in the cave was such that it weighed him down, that it burdened him. Certainly, it could be. Certainly, it could be that sort of atmosphere. Can you imagine the people who came to him, surrounded him, complainers and grumblers? Some people, some people who complain a lot, I tell you, they wear on your soul. I got, I got people who work with me and sometimes they just, it's just a continual, I mean, it's like, okay, what are they gonna complain about today? What's going to be the, the, the chip they've got on their shoulder? Complainers and grumblers, just moaning. It's like the children of Israel in the wilderness. Oh, just see that guy. Oh, see that guy. See that customer. See that there. Why do we think, oh, just one thing after another. One thing after another. If they don't have something to complain about, they've nothing to talk about. That's the type of people who came to gather around David. It actually says there in this translation, they were bitter of soul, bitter people, people with a bug to bear and they just wanted to bear it all day long. People who were wearing, wearing on him. Actually, in the Psalm that we've read there in Psalm 57 verse four, it says, my soul in the, is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid a fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. That was his feeling about the people he was with. That was probably his feeling about Saul and those who were chasing after him as well. He was overwhelmed by this. Everywhere he seemed to turn, there was something negative. There was something pulling him down. The problems he faced were real problems. They weren't just spiritual. They were spiritual, but they were also real problems. He just feigned insanity in front of Akish to get away from him. It says that he let his, his spittle go down his beard. He just acted mad. And if he knew these people were going to be in the, tent, in the cave with him, I'm sure it wasn't that hard to, to feign insanity. And what does he start the psalm by saying? He says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. 
be, you know, the first thing he says, he has to repeat it twice. Be merciful to me, be merciful to me. His focus is, is, is on God, be merciful. I'm in such a state, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's happening. Things are all bad. Things are negative. And maybe we can find ourselves in, in caves, caves of sorts, whether it is a place of spiritual stagnation, a place of emotional turmoil and distress, physical, uh, uncomfortable difficulties, whether it's something in our family, whether it's something around us, we can get to that point where we, like David, feel we're in a cave and the atmosphere is negative and heavy and dark. You can get to the point where you, you, you see nothing beyond the, the mouth of the cave and you don't even see the mouth of the cave sometimes. You're staring at the back of the wall and we can get to times like that. It is easy to get to times like that. It's important that we remember there is a way to change the atmosphere in the cave, to change it, to transform it in very simple ways. You see, what happens to this cave was something that God was also using to work on David. Something that he was using to develop in David's character. We don't like caves. But sometimes it's important that we get to a cave. You think in the Bible about those men who went to caves, who ended up in a place where they were isolated, separated, Everything else was shut off from them. They no longer had everything going on around them. You can easily think of Elijah when he ran from Jezebel. <clears throat> Moses hid in the cleft of the rock. That, the word cleft could be translated as cave. Daniel was in the den of lions, where the den is actually the words could be used to describe a cave as well. Jesus started in a manger, which some translators say was a cave and ended after his crucifixion in a cave. Caves are places where sometimes we reach our rock bottom. We get to the end of everything that we can do and that we need a little bit of readjustment. We need a little bit of focus. We need a bit of, let's, take, let's sit down and let's start with the simple things once again. Let's refocus again on what God has. The cave can help in ways to close off all those distractions, close off those things that, want, that would distract us from the will of God and from the purposes of God and from the word of God. And sometimes we do need to do it, even if it is only as a practice, a spiritual exercise for us. But for many people, it's not a spiritual exercise. It's a reality. Situations and circumstances can push people into caves, force them into that situation where they see no hope, and as I said, I want to look at three things that can change the atmosphere in a cave. There's sight, sound, and smell. Very simple. Instead of keeping it simple tonight. Sight in the cave, the first thing he strikes you is darkness. There's no light at all except what's coming in from the entrance. Darkness has that tendency of only one way, and there's not much of it usually can feed our imaginations, feed our fear. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, the, 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 the imaginations that is fueled by the fear, by the darkness, can conjure up things in our minds and at the end of the road, we'll never get any further. 
And we have to fight that. We have to combat that. We have to come against that. As David had to, he had to rise up above it. You know, he didn't let this, in this chapter, he didn't let the fear and the doubt overwhelm him. It could very easily have. He had to cast down those imaginations and focus on what God had done and who God was. As I said, David could see in the distance the place where he had defeated Goliath. In the other direction, he could see the region around Bethlehem where he had just grown up. He could see the place where his family, my family lived up that way. He's living in the shadows of those things, but he had to make a stand. You know, we talk about whenever I was learning to ride a motorbike, one of the things, the first things you learn is that where you look is where you're going to go. What you focus on is what you're going to go, what direction you're going to go. Because as you turn your head, you turn the wheel. So you learn that where you look is where you're going to go. And whenever you're in a dark cave, the last thing you want to do is just sit and look in the darkness. Last thing you want to do is just sit and look at the back of the cave and see what someone else has scrawled on there. Last thing you want to do is focus on all those reasons why you're in the cave. Last thing you want to do is just feed all that negativity, feed all that their uh, depression, feed all those their ideas of defeat. What we have to do is focus on what we know to be true. The darkness of the cave will feed our ideas of weakness, our, our own weakness, our insecurities, our inabilities, our failures, our missed opportunities. It focuses on them and will emphasize them to our minds. My parents can tell you about the time I was in a cave, how I would come home at night and I'd go into my room and I'd close the curtains, turn on the table lamp and sit in the far side of the corner. The overwhelming idea, the overwhelming thoughts that came to your head were ones of negativity and failure and you'll never amount to much, you'll never do much. You've missed it, you've gone, you've no, no hope. Did David go through those thoughts? I'm sure he did. I'm sure they came against him as well. I'm sure he was confronted by those ideas. But we have to focus on something other than the darkness. We have to focus on the light. Psalm 27 verse one says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Feed our souls with the word of God. Put something in there. The Lord is my light and my salvation. It's gonna change the complexion of your cave when you've got something, some light to focus on. It's gonna change the way you perceive those negative things that have driven you into the cave. It's gonna change even your daily walk with God whenever you focus once again on the simple things. Focus again on the word. Get the word back into our souls. I feel for many people, I, myself included, sometimes we can get caught up in reading commentaries or we can get read, caught up in reading daily devotionals. We can get caught up in reading books about things, but we neglect just reading the Bible. Rather than just reading a, a commentary that focuses on one chapter, do we read chapter after chapter after chapter? Get the word in there, feed our souls, feed the light, feed what God has given us. Feed it over and over again. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. The word gives us light, something to see by. These are three steps to getting us to change the atmosphere of our cave. Feed the light, 
feed the word, get the word into our souls. And the word in our souls then gives us something, gives us some sustenance, gives us something that lifts us, gives us something, another perspective of our situation, another perspective of those things we're going through. Because if all you're listening to those people in the cave, all just sitting grumbling with you, you're never gonna change your perspective. So we need to feed the light, feed what God has given us, feed the word into our souls, return to the importance of the word. David actually said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He also tells us that he treasured the, the word of God in his heart that he might not sin against God. Treasure that light. That's what the word is to us. It is light. It illuminates everything around us. It illuminates what we're going through. It exposes it to the truth of God's word. Because our biggest enemy often is lies, is deceit. It's things that the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil will tell us that we are in decline, that we are defeated, that we are a remnant, that we are irrelevant. And yes, we're a remnant, yes, but we're not irrelevant. The word of God is more relevant today than it's ever been. It's got more light in it today than it's ever had. It's still got the same power to to set men free, to translate us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And it's something that we have got that this world knows nothing about. Sometimes we can get so caught up with the current arguments and the current debates that we forget that we've still got a message that saves men's souls. That we've still got a message and a God that can deliver people. And that's the power of the word of God. And we have to get back to the point where we go, the word is powerful. The word is sufficient. The word has got light in it and life in it and liberty in it and freedom. These are the things the word of God does for it. So we can change the atmosphere in our cave when we consider how sight affects it and what we look at. Second point I want to look at is sound. One thing about sound is that or the caves, I should say, is that sound reverberates around a cave. It echoes around it. It comes back at you. Whatever you say or whatever you hear, whatever happens in the cave comes back at you. It changes a simple clatter of stones into a landslide. It can be used, especially if there's people in the room with you or in the cave with you, and they're whispering, oh, this is terrible. Oh, I owe so much money. Oh, I don't know how I said, God, that, that week was terrible. I bet this week's going to be worse. Oh, I don't know. I, my family, oh, they're terrible. Oh, see that guy over there. He just, he's just, oh, he's so happy. It just makes me sick. Oh, see that person over there. They never say hi to me. Oh, this is terrible. You know, if you're listening to the echoes of sounds that are coming off the, the sides of that cave and coming back at you, that's not even considering those things in our own minds and our own souls that's coming out that might be negative. That you hear all that just reverberating around and coming back at you after, over and over and over again. It's easy to see how things, an atmosphere can be heavy and oppressive. But David realized that it's important to change that. In verse five, he changes the narrative. The story's going one direction and then he changes it. He steps up a gear. In verse five there, it says, uh, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. He praises God. He changes the focus of the cave to, from the place, looking back on past glories, looking back on where I was. He changes the focus of the direction the cave is actually pointing. It's no longer pointing back towards those things. It's now pointing towards heaven. It's not, a, he says, 
Praise the Lord. He says, you know, be exalted, O God. Be lifted up, O God. Be praised, O God. He starts to vocalize and he starts to say what is in his heart. He starts to vocalize the light that is in his heart comes out through his mouth and he praises God. Praise can have the biggest impact upon our perception of the cave. It can change the atmosphere in a room. It can change the atmosphere in our lives. It can change the atmosphere in our families when we start to glorify God. We start to praise God. We start to say those things that we know to be true. We start to even just quote scripture out loud. We say it, vocalize it, give a voice to it. The doubters and the complainers and the agitators and all the rest, I bet they weren't shy about complaining, about being vocal. How else did he know that there were complainers and doubters and all the rest? Unless they were saying it, complaining and moaning and grumbling. But if you praise God, you glorify him with our words, with our lips, it talks about the fruit of our lips. We praise him and we glorify him. Yes, we do it corporately. And there's something powerful about it when we do it corporately. But there's something important when we do it personally and individually. When we lift him up and we glorify him in our lives, not just a corporate life, our individual lives, and we praise him. The problems were real. The situation was real. But all of a sudden, he brought another element to play. He brought something else into the mix, something else that changed the atmosphere in the room. He started to glorify God. Praise the Lord. Verse five again. I want to read that again. Verse five. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That's not what it says. It is, but it's not. It's got an exclamation mark after it. In fact, there's two exclamation marks. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Praise the Lord. He didn't even mention his problem. He, didn't, he just glorified God. It's good for us to voice our faith in God, to voice our trust in God, to voice our knowledge of who God is, to praise him, praise God in the cave. The acoustics have this effect, as I said. They bring the sound back at you. And whenever you praise God in a cave, the sound comes back at you. So when you praise God, it echoes back and you hear yourself saying the word of God, the light that's in your heart. So it echoes with what's in your heart already, what God's word said already to you. And it praises you, lifts you up, gives you that wee bit of room to breathe a bit more, to stand firm a wee bit longer, to walk a wee bit further. Praise the Lord God in heaven. Glorify the Lord. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's a miraculous thing. Something wonderful happens when we start to praise God. Praise him for just a simple thing. Whatever you, whatever you can praise him about, praise him about. Lord, I thank you that I'm not outside in the rain. I'm in a cave, maybe a bit damp, but at least I'm not getting rained on. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not standing here naked. Otherwise, it'd be really awkward. Lord, I thank you that I've got a house to go home to. I thank you, Lord, that I've had a meal today. I thank you, dear God in heaven, for your grace to give me, wake me this morning. I thank you, dear God in heaven, for the strength to go to work this week. I thank you that you've been with me last past week. I thank you, dear God in heaven, Lord, that you have put your hope in my heart, Lord. Start to thank him for what he's done. Start to thank him for who he is. He's still the King of kings and Lord of lords. He still can change circumstances in a moment. He can still deliver the captive, give sight to the blind. He can still do great and mighty things. He can still turn the tide in our world, turn the tide in our families. He can still save our, our loved ones who are far from him. 
He can still do great and mighty work. He's still a great God. He's still worthy of praise, worthy of honor, worthy to be glorified. By praising him, we lift him up and we lift our circumstances out of view. I think Martin was, was, was talking about the verse this morning, or the this, this song this morning. When I turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth and the things of the cave will grow strangely dim when you look in the light of his glory and grace. Lift him up, glorify him. In your own time, in your own life, praise him, glorify him. What a wonderful God. What, what does our enemies think of us? What does our enemies think of us? Those people there, I thought we had them defeated and what do they do? They sing praises to God. Well, look at them people there. Circumstances have gone against them. What do they do? Oh, look, they're still praising God. Praise the Lord. Circumstances might be against us, but God's still on the throne. Still a big God. Still a wonderful savior. Is it important that we proclaim, declare, and announce? As believers, we proclaim the goodness of God, we declare the promises of God, and announce the faithfulness of God. Vocalize it. It opens up a world of possibilities. God can do anything. God can do anything. If you have, turn over in your Bibles there to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. I was reading this, this passage again this week and something stepped out to me. I just, I just wanted to share it with you as part of the message as well. Second Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we have lived, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may uh, be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so spoke, I spoke. We also believed and so we also speak. Part of believing is speaking. They go hand in hand. They have to go hand in hand. They have to go hand in hand. Because if you believe and do nothing, then you've done nothing. Then you don't really believe. But by believing, then we speak. And we speak into those circumstances. We speak into those things that are happening around us. And I'm not talking a, a super faith message where you speak this and that and the other. I'm talking about speaking simple faith, what we believe, what, who we believe in, magnifying God. We've got to drown out them whispers, those grumblers and doubters. We've got to drown out that voice from the enemy and the world and the flesh. We've got to magnify God in our minds and in our hearts and exalt him and lift us up. God is a good God. He's still in the business of setting men free. So you can change the atmosphere in our cave through sight and sound. And the third one's smell. <laughs> Any caves I've ever been into, I've been into a few, not a lot, but there's something memorable about the smell of a cave. I'm not talking about the sanitized, nice, clean marble arch caves which are tourist friendly and family friendly. 
I've been in other caves. I'm thinking of the cave hill, actually. And there's a, there's a particular negative odor. <laughs> there's something about it. You know, and caves were known as places that animals would shelter in. Animals would go to to get out of the storms. People passing would use them. Leave all manner of things that would complement the smell. And that could have an effect on us, you know, the, the things that are going on around us. There's, it's all adding to an atmosphere that's just not good. It's just not helping at all. And one of the things I've found over the last while as a, as a believer, it's important that we have good people around us. It's important that we're surrounded by the people of God, by the family of God. It says in Proverbs 27, verse nine, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. There's something about having people alongside us to encourage us and to lift us up. David didn't have that in bucket loads here. He had difficult people. He was surrounded by the sorriest group of people you could ever picture. People who just needed a prayer line and, and a, a, a laying on a feet and, and a bit of deliverance. You know, the old saying is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. David had that quality about him where it didn't matter. He had his relationship with God and that was it. We're not all King Davids. We're just normal people. We need people around us who are going to encourage us. People are going to lift us up. People are going to be there with us in those times of need. People are going to come along with that word of encouragement. People are going to help us. We need that. It's important. Because whenever you're in that cave, you can feel very isolated. You can feel very alone. You can feel like this is it. And you can be trying to praise God, but you're not even hearing an echo. You can try to read the word, but you know what? The light's quite dark in here. But if you've got good people around us, come along and encourage us, lift us up, set us on the path, tell us to keep going. That was last time's message. It's important that we are surround ourselves with encouragers, people who are going to lift us up. It actually says there in that original verse in 1 Samuel 22, it says that he became a commander over them. They gathered to him and he became a commander over them. Now he could have easily turned them into a, a band of cutthroats and rebels. They could have easily terrorized Saul's kingdom until they weakened it and then, you know, maybe a popular uprising. He could have easily done something like that there, but he didn't. See, the heart of David was, was, was towards God. His focus is towards God. So his heart was good and he, he created them into a fighting unit that would become his mighty men. It says in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, but God, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing it's death and stuff. But we're, we're, that fragrance that each of us brings to each other's lives, that word of encouragement, that word of uplifting, that word that keeps us going on the path, that changes the complexion. We haven't always done it, but we need to. It's important. It's important that we encourage each other. You know, in this church here, whenever Pastor David came along, um, I was a wee tote, but when he came along and he started to work, he, people came along him, came alongside, thinking of the trustees in particular, 
came alongside. Now, they weren't, a, they weren't a sorry group like these ones in the cave of Abdullam. They weren't complainers and grumblers. But just like these complainers and grumblers, they seen that someone who God had a hand on, God had purposes for, God had somewhere to go. So they came alongside, came and latched on. Sometimes that's important for us. If I can't lift myself up, I'm going to latch on to someone who can. I'm going, to, I'm going to latch on to someone who's seen the light, who's going to lead me to the light, someone who's going to lead me on in the things of God. Now, it might not have always been easy. I'm sure the, the trustees will say that it might not have always been easy. But, you know, if, they consider, if we consider now where we are now compared to where we could have been, it's a million miles away. See, God leads us into to community. He leads us in together, into a family, to encourage us, to give us a fragrance in the cave, to lift our view of this world. And it's always good to remember that, that we are the people of God and that he didn't save us just to leave us. He doesn't, he doesn't do a work in our lives just to neglect that work. He's invested in us. He's put something in us that's of value to eternity. Put something that he cares about. So he's not gonna neglect that. He's gonna t- take care of it. He's gonna ensure, do everything he can to ensure that we succeed, that we triumph, that we get out of the cave, that we get back on the path that leads to the throne. So if we find ourselves in a cave, don't let the cave take root in your soul. Don't develop that cave mentality where you're under siege and isolated and removed from everything. Focus on the, the sight, sound and smell. Focus on those things that are going to change the atmosphere of the cave. Do not listen to the darkness. Focus instead on the changing the atmosphere around you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.